Hello, brothers and sisters, Pastor Jason here. I'm excited to be back with you here on this episode, and thank you for tuning in and listening today. I want to jump right into our topic, and as I was reading Hebrews chapter 9 in my daily devotion, I was thinking about some things that it talked about, and as Paul, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, who better that could have wrote it? Uh, It doesn't tell us who wrote it. The author, it says, is unknown, but who better to write to the Hebrews than Paul that knew the law? And you know, Hebrews was written to the Hebrew people. You know, that it was written from the standpoint of trying to appeal to them, to a lot of them that had accepted Christ, and then some of them that he wanted to win to Christ. And he talks a lot about the law and talks a lot about coming out of the law and the old way of doing things. But Hebrews chapter 9 kind of opens with this in verse 1. It says, Now the first covenant had regulations of worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room where the lampstand, the table, the consecrated bread was called the holy place. And he's talking about here, this tabernacle, he's starting to explain how it is. And you kind of have to go back before the temple, the first institution of worship after the law was given was the tabernacle. And you kind of have to know a little bit about that. But in verse three, he says this behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the golden covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory of the overshadowing of the atonement of the cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. So he's referring to him, but he's saying there's so much here to really explain. I can't go into detail because I'm trying to get to what I'm trying to say. And then he goes on to say that the high priest went in and how the outer room, they carried out their ministry, but only the high priest entered in the room and only once a year, never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. Here's verse eight. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. And he's saying all that to say this in verse nine, this is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. And that's really where I want to start is he's saying that all that that was done, all those good works, even through the Holy Spirit, Moses had instituted this tabernacle of worship, but all of that still was not able to be able to clear the consciousness of the work. And and that's that's amazing to, to think about what he's trying to unpack here. He's trying to say is what Christ did in one act of sacrifice, him willingly going to the cross as the perfect sacrifice one time was able to clear the conscience of the worshiper, uh, not the consciousness. I'm glad we know we're consciously here. We, we're not going to be unconscious, but to clear our conscience of the worshiper. And this is so important. I see this in people daily and weekly. I see people that struggle with a conscience that really they are full of guilt, full of shame and full of past things they've done. This is so important to get a hold of that we're to understand that Christ is able to clear our conscience. Remember what the scripture says. He cast our sin as far as the east is from the west and east will never meet west no matter how far you go. West will never meet east, no matter how many times you go around the world. Now, if you go north and you turn back around, you'll eventually be going south over the world. But east will never meet west. And God in his infinite wisdom said that about Scripture. 
scripture before we even knew the world was round, by the way. But and, and it's amazing that the, he says this because think about it. The priests, when they would offer a sacrifice, okay, as people, we would bring our sacrifice. We would go into the outer court. We would offer that sacrifice. We would lay our hands on the head of that and acknowledge that our sin killed that animal. And then they would offer it. But only to know the priest would then go in once a year to the Holy of Holies, sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant with the blood for the sins that had been committed and even sins that they didn't know they committed. But then only again to know, well, I did this now, but I'm going to have to go do it again. And this was kind of a system of the way that it was set up, how worship was. And all it was was a foreshadow of things to come. And in verse 10, he says, they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. So he's saying, now that that's happened, he said that was all done that was just going to be done until the time. So he's talking to the Jewish people saying, I understand what you're doing and what you're wanting to do to prove yourself to, to make these sacrifices. But he's saying these are just things that you're doing that you no longer need to do because Christ, the high priest of the good things, are already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. This is verse 11. That is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, one for all, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And then he goes on, and, and here's a real great part in chapter, in verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished of God, cleanse our conscience from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So he's saying we don't have to continue in sin anymore because our conscience is cleared. Now you think about that. So let me turn that around. If our conscience is not cleared, we will continue in acts of sin. I believe people continue in sin and continue in sin because they believe in their heart they're condemned. They are unworthy. They're not made worthy. But the Bible says we're made worthy by the blood of the lamb. And so that's why I believe in discipleship so much. And I push discipleship with people. I push counseling with people. I push altar prayer with people because their conscience is full of this guilt and this shame of all the things they've done in their past. And I, I just prayed with someone this week at the altar. And when they, they looked at me with tears in their eyes, with the joy on their face and a smile came on their face when they went down to the altar they were weeping and their face was contorted and upset but when they got up they were free why because they accepted christ as their savior and it freed their conscience from all that old guilt all that old shame of the old past stuff but you know i want to say this as soon as we get up from that experience and begin to walk out the door the devil begins accusing us again of our past our past mistakes the things we've done if he can't get us hung up in the things we're doing he'll get us hung up in the things that we have done and he accuses us again but you know Paul's telling the people here that we have a, a, a ability to cleanse ourselves, our conscience from acts that lead to death. So he's telling the Hebrews, you're continuing acts that lead to death, not just the things and trying to offer these sacrifices, but these things are actually binding you up in bondage because then what he's saying is, is that so that we may serve the living God. 
And, and that's what he's saying. He said, this is the reason Christ, a mediator, mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from sins committed under the first covenant. To see, when freedom doesn't come, I have to ask myself a question. Yeah, I can't ignore the fact and just think and pigeonhole people to the idea that they're just coming to church every week just to go and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And that, and that they really want to be there. I mean, I've talked to sincere people that are bound in bondage, bondage of addiction, that's bound in bondage of depression, that's bound in bondage of these acts of the flesh that just really destroy them, and they're bound, bound, bound again and again and again. Well, the first thing is I don't think they understand that when Christ set them free, they are free indeed. You know, and it says he set them free from the sins committed under the covenant. So, see, God has set us free. I believe if we really understood what the blood of Jesus did, then we would be set free from these sins, these acts that we continue to do. But our conscience is in our soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. So in the mind is what's in the soul. The, the devil, see, he's a sly old guy. He's been doing this for thousands of years. In the Garden of Eden, remember, the first time Adam and Eve was ashamed, they were ashamed of their sin. Their conscience came alive to sin. That's when they took of the tree, their conscience was alive into sin. And see, once we get right with God, if it doesn't matter for 14 or for 34, 88, it doesn't matter how old we are. When we get saved, our mind, we become clear, we become free. We, if we truly receive Christ, if we truly mean to, we're set free from that past sin. We know we're forgiven. And I've seen it happen to people, but then... Lo and behold, old sloth, but he's there again to tell us how bad we are, how no good we were, how we wasted those years, how we could do better. Or, you know, he'll come into the church house and say, well, you're not doing this enough. You're not doing that enough. And maybe we can do better, but we're never going to do better by guilt. Guilt will lead us back to alcohol. Guilt will lead us back to drugs. Guilt will lead us back to wrong relationships. Why does the woman continue to go back to the man that abuses her? Why does the man continue to go back to the relationship where the woman treats her, treats him bad? Why does this happen? Because of the guilt of the pain of the past. And I think it's so important that we get people and we disciple people and talk to people and talk to them about their freedom in Christ and how God casts their sin as far as the east is from the west and really let them see the freedom that God has. It reminds me of a little study they did on canines on dogs. And I know some of you pet lovers, you might want to just uh, fast forward through this, but it reminds me of a study that was done. 1965 by Martin Selgman. And basically this experiment, they took a dog and they took a box and on each side of the box, they put two grates and one grate was wired to electricity and the other side wasn't wired to anything. And they put a divider, a small wall between it to where the dog could jump back and forth in the box. And what they would do, they would then shock the dog with a painful stimulant and they would shock him with electricity and then that dog would jump then to the other side over that little short wall in the box and it would be free from the shock and nothing would happen when it got to the other side well what they did is then they put a piece of fiberglass a piece of clear plastic 
over the top of the box in the center over the short wall and then when the dog would try to escape it would hit that glass and hit that glass and no matter how it tried it we couldn't escape and so finally the dog would just freeze it would just lay there so then they would remove the glass and the dog would still not try to jump then to the other side it would just stay there where it was at and they call that learned helplessness and that's learned helplessness is kind of uh, the, the, the whole point. People learn in depression. People learn in addiction. People learn in sin to be able to just freeze. They just they can't get out because in their past experiences, they couldn't get out. And that's kind of the way it is with the Hebrews. They were stuck in their idea of helplessness over their sin to just going through these rituals again and again. But they then had the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to assist them in overcoming that sin. So Paul's telling the Hebrews at no stretch of the imagination, he's saying, you're free from this law. You're free from this bondage. And that's why in so many of these people that you see these struggles, you know, in these relationships, they continue going back to. I know that's an extreme result, but I think this is so important. You are to thank God if you've not been in an abusive situation. You are to thank God if you have never been in alcohol or drugs. But some people have lived that life so long, they're programmed to believe there's no better future for them than to sit in that cage and to be shocked because that's their safe place. Friends, the Bible says when Paul talked to the Hebrews, he said, not only is the blood of Christ able to purge you from having to do this again and again, year after year. Can you imagine the mundanity of that? How that would be so mundane to go back and take a sacrifice and have it killed. And then the high priest goes in, he sprinkles the blood only then to find out they have to do it the next year and the next year and the next day. People would come by the droves and they would pile their sacrifice and be waiting at the door again and again and again, only to find out I'm going to sin again tomorrow and have to go back in and do the same thing. But not only that, he's saying, not only will you be purged of these dead works, also the works of sin that you're doing. The law was just a schoolmaster to show us that we were in need of Christ and his blood. The law showed us, you know, we needed to continue to do these things. These spiritual laws is what I'm talking about. These spiritual sacrificial laws that was outlined in Exodus. It was just showing us these things that were to come. It was teaching us that we were going to need Christ once and for all to purge our conscience, to purge our mind, to purge our soul of all these sins and dead works. And see, that's what we need to do with people. We need to show them there's a new way. There's a new covenant. You know, we can ask for forgiveness and we can fail and truly be born again. But let me tell you, friends, it's easier said than done. Do you know what people need that are in abusive situations, that are in hard situations, that are in difficult things they're coming out of? They need four or five people to connect to. You know, the truth is the church, we want to see people saved. We want to see people one to the Lord. But discipling them and spending the hours and the time it takes is something few and far between. Now, I know there's some people even listening to this that have a heart to help people. Probably one of the very reasons why you're listening to this. But the truth is we're going to have to get out of our comfort zone and realize that these people need true, deep connections. That's why I believe in the church so much, because God made the church in a way as the body of the Christ. Remember, some are the hands, some are the feet, some are the arms, some are the legs. We're not all hands. We're not all feet, but we some of us are necks. 
And we know that Christ is the head of the church. And so, but we are just his body working out and doing things to help people that need their consciences cleared from some of these past sins. Guilt and shame is a death trap. It's a death trap to the spiritual life. That's like the Hebrews were under. They were under this obligation. They served God eventually because of the mundanity of it. They had to serve God out of obligation. But we, under the new covenant, we don't serve God in our consciousness out of obligation. We serve God because of our freedom. You know, we are free to be able to, at liberty, to be able to even make mistakes. Oh my goodness, I said it. We even have the liberty to make mistakes because we can trust that our heavenly father that loves us will not reject us. He won't shock us with a shock pad. He won't even throw us out of the garden. We are fearfully, wonderfully made. We're his and he's ours. And we are embraced in the kingdom of God because he loves us. The greatest attribute of God is his love, which is why we have to come along beside people and love them with passion and compassion and empathy and understanding. Some of us have greater advantages. You know, I didn't live in the greatest home as a child. I had a difficult upbringing with a lot of different people in and out of my life, you know, in different homes between my home and my grandparents' house, back and forth a lot. But the whole thing is, there's been people that my actual upbringing, it would be like a Disneyland compared to theirs. You know, they've been seared. They've been abused. They've been beat down. And, you know, it's easy for us, good, you know, Christians to be able to say that's had a decent upbringing to be able to say, well, you know, you're just not trying hard enough, you know, just get sin out of your life. And, you know, our greatest attribute are to be love too and acceptance, you know. I've seen the freedom of people when they sit down to talk to me and they say and they spill all their guts out and they say, here's where it is, here's what happened. And they look across the table and many times they've looked across and I know what they're waiting on. They're waiting on for me to go, well... You know, you just need to buck up. You're you're a horrible sinner because all the rest of the world's always told them that. Parents that weren't even saved talk to their kids like dogs. I mean, they're waiting for that. And I say, well, it sounds like a human being problem. And they just can't believe it, that I'd accept them that way. And I'd say, you know, what about these things? What about, do you know Christ is your Savior and, and how to get free from these things? Because they got roadblocks in their life doesn't mean they're horrible people or doesn't mean that God didn't die for them. They've been going through just like these works could never have saved the Hebrews, the same works that these people have been going through, you know, uh, trying the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It wouldn't save them any more than the blood of bulls and goats would save these Hebrews. It wouldn't clear their conscience. But see, they're stuck in this habit, this place like those dogs were just being shocked or they just freeze. They don't know what else to do. They freeze under the abuse. They freeze under the guilt. And by the way, the devil abuses people. These thoughts that we hear, you remember the the uh, cartoon where there was a you know an angel on one side and a devil on the other, and the angel's talking, trying to tell the cartoon character to do one thing, and the devil's talking on the other side, trying to tell it to do the other. You know, that's kind of what happens in the consciousness, in the soul, and when in our thoughts, in our thought realm. You know, one part, you know, they want to do the right thing, but then the devil's telling them there's no sense in doing that. That's not going to help. Why, why act differently? Why, why not go to the bar? Why not, you know, get in this wrong relationship? Why try to be holy to God? There's no sense in that. Just put that off another day. You know, because they failed so many times in their past, there's no sense in trying anything new. Truthfully, their conscience is very seared, that's hurt. 
that's struggling because they can't get free from that sin. And if we can get them free through the power of the blood of Jesus and let them see that they are free, that God went into the Holy of Holies, Jesus himself offered himself up, that they can clearly be purged, what a different life these people would lead if they had a clear conscience, a clear soul. And see, if we can get a hold of that when we fail as Christians, we can, hey, the Bible says his mercies are new every day. We can wake up in the morning a new person every day, and we can move forward. We don't have to fall under condemnation and guilt, because if we can be free and learn to be free of our conscience, learn to be free of the devil's lies, learn to truly be free, then we can listen to the Spirit of God better. That's the point. When we're saved at salvation, the Spirit of God resides with us. You know, God wants to work so far past our inabilities and our weaknesses and our sins. He wants to live out his life. He wants to live his life out through us. And as we become free, then we can walk in the spirit. And the Bible says we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if we truly walk in the spirit and listen to God, we can be the greatest help to this kingdom that we've ever been. I don't believe anyone ever truly lives up to their true potential that God wants for them. You know, eyes not seen, ears never heard, nor into the heart of the man the things that God has prepared for us. I believe that's not just in the heaven to come, but that's in the earth while we're here. And I believe if we can purge our conscience of those dead works and a guilty conscience and those things that makes us feel like we're no good, I believe we can be free. But he said to serve the living God. Friends, I hope this word's been good to you. Until next time, God bless.